السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته There's at least like I'd say about 200 people in here They say giving salam is sunnah But replying to the salam is wajib You know that? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah, you have fulfilled your wujub. May Allah reward you. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidil Mursaleen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa tabi'in wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddin wa ba'd. Allahumma gfir lana warhamna wa anta khayrul rahimin. Allahumma alif bayna qulubina ya Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma aminna fi autanina ya Rabbil Alameen. اللهم إن ظلمنا أنفسنا ظلما كثيرا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين آمين وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته peace and blessings upon all of you brothers and sisters alhamdulillah they usually introduce speakers in front of crowds and it's really arbitrary you know imam and sheikh and all these titles these are really titles that we give, we have given amongst ourselves. Uh, but really, Allah knows our worth. The entire life of a Muslim is really based on what we do, right? Our actions. What we do really determines our place with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Earlier today, we were talking about um, just personal things that I saw. Assalamu alaikum, Saad. How are you? Alhamdulillah. He moved from Atlanta to Chicago. You guys stole him. Alhamdulillah. He has finished his hiv uh, today, right? Alhamdulillah. I got the news. May Allah reward him. Really, life is about actions. You know, so throughout the Quran, what you see is wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of iman, Allah makes mention of what? Action also. So wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا It always couples itself with وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Those who do virtuous acts. Those who do good. Other places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَقَامُوا الصَّلَاةِ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةِ So in these places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is differentiating between those who do good and they establish prayer. They give charity. So when we talk about doing good, it's not limited. It's not limited to only prayer, right? Really what we do in our lives determines our placement with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was a person, Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah. Abdullah ibn Mubarak, rahimahullah, was known as Imam al-Muhadithin, the leader of the scholars of hadith. And he went for hajj one year, and after he was done with hajj, he was making dua that Allah accept my hajj. So in his dream, as he slept, he saw a few angels conversating, right? A few angels conversating. And they were asking one another, how, what, what was the hajj of all these people, thousands of people, was their hajj accepted? And the answer came, no, except for a haddad, a blacksmith in such and such a village. So, Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah, scholar of his time, the leader of the Muhaddithun, he was astonished by this. You have everybody that actually performed hajj, nobody's hajj is accepted. But this blacksmith, 
at a far off distance who didn't do hajj, his hajj is accepted. So he was, he was really taken back by this. What is this? And then the angel asked, what is his name? So they replied, his name is Fulan ibn Fulan, so and so. When he awoke from his dream, he started pursuing, asking around for that village, trying to find this person. When he found this person, he said, what is it? What is it that you have done that although you have not done hajj, your hajj has been accepted? Right? And this person said, well, it's, it's my business. You know, it's, it's okay, just go on. Then he related to him the entire story, what happened in his dream. Then he said, since you have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown you all this, I'll reveal to you the truth. He said, I had a neighbor. And the friend of mine, this neighbor, his children and my children are very close friends. They play together, they eat together, they laugh and cry together, they enjoy together. And recently he's been behaving oddly with me. He's been behaving very strange. He's a bit mean. He's not as caring anymore. He said, what, what is the cause? He said, one day his son was eating something, and usually he always shares with my son. But one day he was eating something, and when my son asked for to take a bite, the father, my neighbor, came and pushed my son away. And this really hurt me as we were friends for so long. Why would you push my son away? What happened? So he said, I, I was very intrigued. I asked him, what happened? Why is it that you're behaving so oddly? And he said, the neighbor, he replied that, you see, my family is going through poverty. We don't have any financial means. So we're eating the flesh of a donkey, which is makru to eat. Which is makru, it's dislike, the consummation of it is dislike. But because we are suffering from poverty, it's okay for us to eat, but not for you. So I couldn't let your son partake in that food. I had to push him away because it's disliked for your family. And this person, this blacksmith, he'd been saving up his life savings to be able to do hajj. His entire, let me think about it, his entire life saving to do hajj. He said, when I heard the suffering of my neighbor, I took my entire life saving, which I had saved just to do hajj, and I gave it to him. That's the secret behind it. In the Quran, you will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always outlines helping others. Wherever the greatest deeds are mentioned, it's all about helping others, right? There's a psychologist who studied this question, what brings uh, sustainable happiness? What can keep you happy, not momentarily, but what can keep you happy throughout your life? Is it getting a, a Ford Mustang 2017 Shelby? No. Is it getting the, the new album dropped drop by so-and-so rapper? No. No. Getting a house in Glendale Heights, some big old house? No. What can give you sustainable happiness? And after 30 years of research, he realized service to others. Isn't it beautiful that the Prophet told us 1400 years ago, khayrun nas nas, that the best of people in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are those who are most beneficial to people. What I want to talk to you brothers and sisters about is, I call it street credit. Young people, do you guys know what street credit is? Who knows what street credit is? 
your rep, how you rep yourself in the streets. I'm from the, I'm from the south now. Okay. Who knows what street credit is? Raise your hand. We have one brother, alhamdulillah. May Allah reward you. Okay, we got two. He wanted the dua, he raised his hands also. So, you know, street credit means your integrity. What do people value you as? What are you worth in the eyes of people? Are you trustable? Are you dependable? What's amazing is, if you look at the life of the Prophet ﷺ, before prophethood, before Nabuwa, he lived a life that built his integrity. So you have, you know, in the fourth year of Nabuwa, when the Prophet ﷺ now goes open, he goes open, he starts inviting people to Islam openly. Now the Quraysh got a problem. You say, you know, this, he was quiet and all, we, we were okay with that, but now he's going viral. Okay, now he's trending, that's a problem. He's trending all over YouTube, that's an issue, right? So, they go to Walid ibn Mughira. And now, look at this. Now, what do they want to do? They want to, what you call, character assassination. Where you demonize, dehumanize, demoralize a person's character. So that they're not worthy in, in the eyes of people. So the Prophet ﷺ, he starts preaching openly. These people go to Walid ibn Mughira, and they want to demonize the Prophet's character. Character assassination. So they say, okay now, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Can we call him a kahin, a soothsayer? They said, no. Wallahi, we cannot say soothsayer because the way he speaks, it's not the same rhythm as those of the soothsayers. They said, what about calling him a, a majnoon, a person who has been uh, touched by jinn, possessed. They say, no, the people know him. They know his integrity. Well, what if we call him such and such? No, it won't work because people know his integrity. Well, if we call, what if we call him shair, a, a, a poet? He said, it won't work because people know his integrity. He's known as a sadiq al-ameen, the most beloved to his community. It won't work. So well, why don't we call him Sahir, a magician. Walid ibn Mughira, he said, look man, none of this is going to work. But if there's anything that's going to work, it might be. It might be the last one, Sahir, a magician. Because his speech has the ability to separate husband and wife, brother from brother, son from father. His speech has that ability. So if anything is going to sell in the market, it could be Sahir. It could be magician. But what do you learn from there? If a person builds up personal integrity, if people know you as Abdullah, and they know you were a proud Muslim, and you're repping your Islam open and proudly, and they know you Khadija, and you are an open, proud Muslim, they know you because through your character, you have established the integrity of the Muslim, well then the media can't get away with saying whatever they want. If they come and say, well Khalid is like this, your whole hood is going to say no. Your neighborhood is going to say no. Khalid is not like that. But the problem, brothers and sisters, is that we have lost integrity. The entire ummah as a whole, we have lost integrity. And I'm talking about the Prophet ﷺ, right? No matter what he went through, if you look at his life, you're talking about a man whose father passed away before he, was, he came into this world. His mother passed away at six. He grew up as in, in foster homes until he was four. And when he was eight, he was in the care of his grandfather. His grandfather passed away when he was eight. As a young boy, he used to graze sheep in the desert so he can earn a few, a few me meagerly means of money to sustain himself and help his uncle. 
He grew up in the household of his uncle as an adopted son. Right? When he grew up with all these disadvantages, all these disadvantages, he still came to be known as Sadiq al-Amin. It's not your clothes, it's not your shoes, your, your easies that came out, it's not your easies that give you integrity, it's not the car you drive that gives you integrity, it's not what you look like what gives you integrity, it's what you do. The Prophet ﷺ had all the disadvantages against him, but it was his character. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ لِأُتَمِّمَ مَكَارِمَ الْأَخْلَاقِ now in Arabic, innama is for tahsir. It's to specifically focus on a point. The Prophet is saying, look, I've been sent to do a lot of things, but one thing that I'm going to have to specialize in is to teach my ummah character. This is why the Prophet he said, the heaviest on the day of judgment is the character of the Muslim. Because it's your character, brothers and sisters. It's your and my character that can change the world. And now this is very important in the West for the young generation. Our forefathers have done their lot. But it's the young generation, the millennials, you and I, that have to redefine what Islam is. So this responsibility comes on you. Right? This responsibility comes on you. You look at the Prophet ﷺ, he grew up. Right? As he, when he starts proclaiming Islam, his entire tribe turns against him. They abuse him, they spit on him, they abuse him and his family, they beat him, they drag him, they throw dirt on him, they abuse his companions, they drive him out of Mecca, they drive his companions out of Mecca. They fight him, he bleeds from head to toe. But the Prophet never stopped to complain. Right? He never stopped to complain. The only thing he would say, that, oh Allah, that as long as you're not unhappy with me, I got no care in the world. Oh Allah, as long as you're happy with me, whether I'm bleeding or not, I have no problem in the world. The problem today with Muslims, we have become very reactive, not proactive. We react. Anything that happens, we react. Brothers and sisters, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah, he makes mention of something that I want to share with you. قال ابن قيم رحمه الله فلولا أنه سبحانه سبحانه وتعالى يداوي عباده بأدوية المحن والابتلاء لتغو وبغو. ابن قيم رحمه الله he said, if it were not that Allah the Exalted, He cured His servants, He cured us, He cured His servants with the medicine of tests and trials. So when you have a challenge in front of you, when you have a difficulty in front of you. That's your medicine. The problem with us is we act like little children, right? What do you mean by you say, what you talking about, Bill? What you mean little children? We don't act like little children. What you mean we act like little children? No, no, we do act like little children. You see, you can't give a child normal Tylenol. He said, no, I want cherry flavor. That's what the Muslims want also. He said, no, no, Allah, I want cherry flavor. I want flavored Tylenol. I want flavored Advil. Come on, I don't want to take the raw Advil. No! This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about. Ibn Qayyim is talking about when Allah wants to purify the nation, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give izzah to the Muslims again, Allah is going to test you and trial you. Right? 
So this is when you see a challenge, brothers, especially young brothers and sisters, when you see a challenge, this is not to set you back. Taif did not set the Messenger ﷺ back. Badr did not set the Messenger ﷺ back. Uhud did not set the Messenger ﷺ back. All the tests and trials in Mecca, all the abuse, did not send Muhammad ﷺ back. It took him to Mi'raj, didn't it? All the trials and tribulations in Mecca ended with what? Allah said, okay, you had enough, now come up. Now you have, me and you have that same, if we strive and we thrive by the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you got your mi'raj coming. Yeah, Allah is going to show us different heights, but we have to fulfill our part. So Ibn Qayyim, he says that when it comes to tests and trials, this is the medicine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cures us with. Because if he did not do so, we would transgress the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and would commit evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِذَا أَرَادَ بِعَبْدٍ خَيْرًا سَقَاهُ دَوَاءً مِنَ الْإِبْتِلَاءِ وَالْإِمْتِحَانِ عَلَىٰ قَدْرِ حَالِهِ He says when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends good with people, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends good with people, with a servant, He makes him drink the medicine of hardship. The medicine of hardship. That's where we are. That's, that's our challenge. And if you look at the Sahaba, if you look at the Tabi'een, if you look at every single generation of Muslim, the scholars, what did they do? They faced the challenges of their time. They stood up against it. Fitna, right? Fitna means what? In Arabic, if you translate it, fitna means trial and tribulation, right? Fitna, uh, a challenge, a test. So those of you who are in Darul Salam, you just finished a fitna from your exams. Your exam is a fitna for you. Linguistically, it is a fitna for you. Yes. Sometimes we think, Women are fitna and men are fitna and wealth is fitna. No, fitna is everywhere. Right? So the fitna that we go through, the, the, the linguistical meaning for fitna in Arabic, it means to melt ores of gold and silver. So when you take out ores of gold and silver, it's not pure, is it? Is it pure? No, it's, it's mixed with other minerals. So you have to purify it. How do you purify it? You burn it. You heat it up, you heat it up, you burn it, you melt it. And when it melts, the gold, pure gold and silver, it, it separates itself from other metals. In a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he literally said that Allah will put you through a fitna just like gold and silver are put through the fire so Allah can purify. Allah can purify. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, قَرْهٌ فَقَدْ الْقَوْمَ قَرْهٌ مِثْلُ That if you have been, if hardship comes upon you, then be assured that similar hardships have come upon the people before you. And when it comes to these days, sometimes we give you the upper hand, and sometimes you, you don't have the upper hand, it comes in turns. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do this? You say, well, you know, why, 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 we Muslims, man. We got to be on top. No. That's not the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises, We give them turn and turn. So sometimes you're on top, sometimes you're not. Right? But why? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Because all Allah wants to see is who really believes. So in the new administration era, who really believes? Right? Because you got people being fired left and right nowadays. Subhanallah. He had all that investigation going on, he didn't know it was coming for him. Right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does all this so that He may test to see who believe. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take marchers from amongst you. Now, this was for the Sahaba. For them, the ultimatum was what? 
to sacrifice their life even if it came, right? But for us, it just means to be upright Muslims who are proud of their faith. Now when it comes to our worry and our concern, you know, you don't, you can't finish the story of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam without reading about Namrud, can you? You can't finish the story of Musa alayhi salatu wasalam without reading about Fir'aun. And you can never finish reading about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasalam without reading about Abu Jahl, right? Or Abu Lahab. So every, every single person has a responsibility. Every single person has a responsibility. In today's age, brothers and sisters, is to uphold the deen. Now, when I'm talking about upholding the deen, there is sacrifice involved. In Latin, the word sacrifice comes from sacri, which means holy, and facere means to make. So when a person sacrifices, you're making holy, you're making yourself holier, right? And that's what sacrifice is. So as Muslims, we have to give sacrifice. Now, one of the things when we're talking about being upright ambassadors of faith, you can't let fear get to you. Because if you let fear get to you, it's out of, at, at a state of fear that people make foolish decisions. People do dumb things when they're afraid, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly tells us in the Quran, فَلَا تَخْشَوْهُمْ وَخْشَوْنِي Right? Don't fear anyone. If it comes to fear, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only. So when it comes to believers, we can't have the, the fight or flight response. We can't be running away. We have to stand our ground. If you look at all of our of our, our, our Salaf al-Salihin, the, the, the Anbiya, the Sahaba, the, 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 the scholars, they met the challenges of their time. And that's what we have to do, the challenges of our time. Now, here, what do I mean by this? What, what is an issue that we have within our society? Usually, I'm t now I'm going to talk from the millennial point of view. So if you're older, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you, but I want you to understand how millennials, young people look at faith. What are the challenges that they have out there? Most of the time when I conversate with young people, they have an objection. They're like, look, Imam, every time you're talking about Islam, you're always saying, kind of, you know, the, the Sahaba, they were like this. The Sahaba, they did this. The Anbiya, the Prophets, they did this. But what did you do, Imam? What you doing? Stop talking about what the Sahaba did. What have you done? Now I want you to understand, the young generation that's growing up in, in the United States, they haven't come from a majority Muslim country, right? The young generation that's growing up in the United States, going to the public school system, living on the streets, going through the struggles of life, going through fitna day in, day out, they are amongst those who question their faith. People who grew up in majority Muslim countries, Alhamdulillah, even till now, you're 50, 60, 70 years old. Not one single time in your entire life did you think about switching your religion. Never. You stood your ground. It, was, it wasn't even a question like, no man, I'm a Muslim. Alhamdulillah, that's it. But young people, it's different for them in the United States. It's different from the, for them here. Right? So for many young people in the United States, many young people at home, the issue is they look at the deen and it's a theoretical religion. Right? Because it's our failure that we haven't engaged ourselves. And that's why if you look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about great deeds in the Quran. And majority of them are what? Helping those who are in need. Helping the widow. Helping, helping the orphan. Helping those who are less fortunate. Right? Freeing a slave. What do you see in all that? Helping humanity. 
helping humanity, helping people, right? And this is where the challenge is. A lot of young people, they look at faith and they see it's, it's a very theoretical religion. It's not practical. And the practical part is what I believe we have left out. So we have a dichotomy within the younger generation and the older generation. The older generation, and you have full right to disagree with me. You have full right. This is my observation. The older generation, alhamdulillah, there is a tendency of ibadah. There's a tendency of ibadah. And I will translate ibadah as ritual worship, alhamdulillah. So the older generation, we pray more, alhamdulillah. We read Quran more. And this is the foundation of faith. This is the foundation of faith. You have to have that. The younger generation, there is more tendency with activism. We want to go out there and protest in, in, in O'Hare Airport and show them who's the boss. That's what we want to do. Make noise and then don't show up for Fajr next day. No, but this is the reality. So the older generation, they're in the masjid. The younger generation, we're out in the streets. So the older generation, they got credit with Allah. The younger generation, we got credit in the streets. The older generation, they ain't got no credit in the streets. The younger generation, we ain't got no credit with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a problem. This is a serious problem. Right? This is the issue. See, the deen is a complete balance. It's complete balance. Right? If you look at every single... Look, look at the five pillars of Islam, for example. Am I too loud? So if, if, you look at, if you look at the deen, everything that we do has a, has, has a platform with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and has a platform with humanity. So everything that we do as a Muslim, there's huququl ibad and huququl law, rights of Allah and the rights of people. What's amazing to me is when the Prophet comes into Medina, now you're going to have a Muslim identity being formed. And this is what we're striving to do in the West. We're trying to establish every group out there. Everybody's trying their level best to establish a Muslim identity to say who is right. Right? So you have so many different MPV and Allah knows what and what. We have so many different groups. Right? But the challenge is if, if we're going to... I forgot my train of thought. What was I talking about? You guys are not listening? Astaghfirullah What was I talking about before that? Keep going. Let's see. Speak as close as possible. That's all from my side. Sorry. Speak as close as possible. Speak as close as possible. That's a dichotomy. That's the dichotomy that we live in. The younger generation, we have credit in the streets, but no credit in the masjid. The older generation, we have, we have credit in the masjid, but no credit in the street. Now, if you look at Islam, it's good. I wanted feedback. It's good. If you look at all the pillars of Islam, there is huququllah and huququl ibad. Everything. What's amazing when the Prophet ﷺ comes into Medina, this is the first time they're going to establish a Muslim identity. So there's going to be a Muslim community, okay? And what does the Prophet ﷺ, he said? He said, Afshu salam and then arham and what is what is the result so look at this i want you to 
The Prophet ﷺ, he says, give salam. Now salam doesn't mean assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, that's it. Although it does include that, but it, it refers to personal interaction. Hey, how are you doing? Really getting to know one another. What salam means is what the Sahaba did. When they got to know one another, he said, look, I got two business. You need a business, take mine. That's what it means. Real ukhuwa, real love. I'm talking about, you know, boys, boys. I'm talking about you get your boy. Like, you know, love, right? Not like, salamu alaikum bai, tabiyat kaysiya, No, 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 that's just, that's like, it's takia kalam, you know, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's very uh, formal. We don't really mean it. No, we have to mean. We have to love one another for the sake of Allah, really love, right? Like, I mean, really think about, we need to think about a hadith that we read, right? You have this person who is dying out of thirst and he's given water and he says, no. He says, no, give it to my brother. We read that hadith, but for me personally, man, after I read that hadith, I have to close the book. This is too much. How can a person give preference to somebody else over a drink of water? He knows he's gonna die. We never think about this. We never think about the human aspect. I mean, this is, this is mind-boggling. He knows if he doesn't take that drink of water, he could die. But it's okay. Give preference to my Muslim brother. This is Sahaba. So like I say, we talk about the Sahaba, but it's only... And even at this moment, even Umar radiallahu he is like, come on, this is too much. Like, come on, this is too much. Because, you know, he was, he was a go-getter, subhanAllah. So he was like, this is too much. Right? It was hard for Umar and he came and conversated with the Prophet trying to figure out what's happening. He went to Abu Bakr to figure out what's happening. Right? But the Prophet accepted. What's amazing is in this period, more people accepted Islam in the next two years because propaganda came to an end. The Muslims had an open road to interact with people. There was no propaganda involved. There was no media involved. The Muslims had an open road to show people what Islam is. Okay? To show people what Islam is. More people accepted Islam in that two years, in those two years, than all before. Okay? So this is where we are. We have that road in front of us. There's nobody stopping us. Okay? Nobody's stopping us. So this is what we have to work on. Now when we're talking about um, working brothers and sisters, one thing that we have to understand is we have to work together. The ummah is one. You know, it sickens me that sometimes, you know, you go to these interfaith and these, these things and you will have a Muslim hugging a Christian. And I'm, you know, we should have relationships. We should have common ground. You'll hug a Christian, you'll hug a Jew, you'll shake hands, you'll greet one another. But people from different messages won't greet one another. What is that? Is, I mean, that is the pinnacle of, 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 of filth. I mean, what is this? The Prophets of the Quran talks about Muhammad Rasulullah, الذين معه أشداء على الكفار رحماء بينهم. This is لازم ملزوم. Okay, they're a couple. So we, we are going and, you know, very happy and dandy to meet people, but we're not. We can't meet our brothers. So yes, we have to display the faith there, but we have to be unified at the same time. So as Muslim brothers and sisters, we have to be religiously conscious, we have to be socially conscious. Don't worry about any walls, don't worry about any bands, because we have walls within our hearts. 
We have bands within our hearts. There are specific groups that we don't get along with. There are specific groups we have titled such and such. Muqtadi'ah, Bid'ah. This is, you know, this group and that group. We have to let go. There has to be commonality within the Muslim Ummah. We have to work together in unison. <clears throat> Last thing, brothers and sisters, that I say is when we talk about presenting our faith to, to humanity, there has to be a balance, definitely. But when we talk about working, we don't talk about acceptance. You say, what do you mean by acceptance? You see, as Muslims, like I said, Islam doesn't accept change. Okay? So the faith that you and I are going to be presenting, we're not telling people to accept Islam. Mm -mm. Accept us. A lot of times, this is another inferiority complex, and this is an issue. A Muslim cannot have inferiority complex. Right? A Muslim cannot suffer from inferiority complex. If anything at all, maybe superiority complex, but not inferiority complex. Okay? Because you have the greatest gift Allah has, that's iman, that's faith. And what do I mean by don't, don't work, you know, go step towards people, try to work with people, and suffer from this? No. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly says, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ this is the game plan. You're not there to say, hey, you know, we just, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're here also, just accept us. No, 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 no. We accept it. We are accepted. You are accepted. You have been accepted. You just got to work. So there should be no inferiority complex. This is another problem. One time we went with a group of brothers to meet the Jewish community. When we came out, may Allah guide all of us. We all have weaknesses. When we came out, the brother said, we need to be just like them. They have everything. I said, Ya Allah, you misunderstood the entire conversation. <laughs> you haven't even understood Islam. What do you mean be like them? You know? Abu Hassan Ali Nadu, rahimahullah, he was asked, what do you have to do to be successful? Usually when you talk about success, we think about progress, moving forward. Abu al-Hazin al-Nadwi rahimahullah, he said, we have to retrogress, we gotta go back. We gotta backstep, we gotta go all the way back. People said, what do you mean go back? He said, we gotta go back and back and back, we gotta go so back, we gotta go about 1400 years back. And when we go back, travel in time, 1400 years back and we come with the Sahaba, that's when we're gonna see progress. And that's what reality is. We, have, we cannot leave Islam as a theoretical faith, because our generation is gonna suffer. We have to go back and bring it forward and implement it today, right? And that which I leave you with is Umar an. He was on a journey to Syria. Along with him was Abu Ubaidah an. So they came across this creek which they had to cross. So Umar an. he came off of his camel. He took off his sandals. You know, they, Abdullah ibn Masud he talks about Umar the, the Sahaba, he said, They didn't have these formalities. Brother, brother, you go, please, please. Brother, you go, please, please. And then the Salah is almost gone. <laughs> they didn't have all this, right? It was time for Salah, they went. I mean, we have these un unnecessary formalities within us, right? They weren't like that, you know? So Umar he had to do what he had to do. He came across this creek, he's, he's the Amir al-Mu'mineen, he comes across this creek, he takes off his sandals, and puts his sandals on his shoulder. Amir al-Mu'mineen. Imagine POTUS doing that. 
But he puts his, he puts his sandals on his, on, his, on his shoulder. And Abu Ubaidah, he goes, Ya Amir al-Mu'minin, what are you doing? What are you going to, if somebody takes a picture, somebody finds out what's going to happen. Right? You, you can't put your sandals on your, on your shoulder. And Umar radiallahu he said, Allah, oh, if only someone else said it, but not you, Abu Ubaidah. If somebody else said it, okay, but not you. How could you say that? Right? لَوْ يَقُولُ ذَا غَيْرُكَ يَا Umar he said, that if only somebody else other than you said that. Because Abu Ubaidah, he said that, you have done such a thing, that I don't think it'll be easy for me now to get the people of this country to respect and honor you. Because this is, you know, this is not cool in Syria. You can't be doing this. This is not really cool in Syria. And Umar, he said, if, if only somebody else said it, not you Abu Ubaidah. Right? And this is where Umar he laid a, 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 a universal rule. Universal rule. Umar he said, Inna kunna adalla qawmin fa'azzan Allahu bil Islam. Fa'mahma natlubu al-izzata bighayri ma'azzan Allah, bighayri ma'azzan Allahu bihi adallan Allah. He said that we were people who were a disgraceful nation. We were people who were disgraceful people. And Allah honored us with Islam. Allah honored us with Islam. So if we seek honor, if we seek honor and acceptance from anyone, anyone other than Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will humiliate us. And that's where we find the ummah, right? With this and that. Brothers and sisters, the equation is very simple. The honor of the Muslim, Izzah belongs to Allah and His Messenger. That's where Izzah and honor is. So when we say, Allahumma a'izzi al-Islam al-Muslimin, say, Ameen, Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. But really, do we believe that? Do we believe that Izzah is only with Allah and His Rasul? If we do, then we can expect Izzah back. Other than that, again, that dua is still hypothetical. Right? In Allah ma yughayru ma bi qawmin. Allah doesn't change the, the situation of a people. Hatta yughayru ma bi anfusim. Until they realize something is wrong with them. That's the first step. We got to realize something is wrong, right? And take a step forward. So with that, brothers and sisters, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Allah maj'ala min al-ladhin yastami'oon al-qawl fa'tabi'oon ahsana. May Allah give us the tawfiq to be proactive, uh, not reactive. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us to be objective in our approach. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to be Muslims who are practical, not theoretical. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to be amongst those people who uphold uh, the, the way of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and our shortcomings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unite us with our loved ones in the hereafter and with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Anything that is good that is from Allah and his Rasul, anything that is bad or evil or a mistake that is from myself, May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive all of us. Jazakumullah khair. You've been a wonderful audience. Uh, it's uh, very great to be in Chicago, alhamdulillah, a wonderful city, a very vi vibrant city. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward all of you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward the organizers, uh, Mufti Azimuddin and Mufti Minhaj and their entire uh, team. Uh, I'll tell you one thing because they were giving my introduction. It's uh, very rare to find... Uh, people who were very praised by their teachers, uh, Mufti Azimuddin and uh, Mufti Minhaj, uh, they were extremely uh, praised by their teachers. I considered them, and every single person that's going to speak from now on, they're older than me, they're more mature than me, they're more experienced than me, more, they're no, more knowledgeable than me, their taqwa is better than mine, 
And it is, it is a humbling factor that I have this chance uh, to, to be in front of you and to be with them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept. I consider them as sabiqoon, as sabiqoon, ulaika al-muqarrabun, fi jannatin na'im, right? Thullatun min al-awwaleen, wa qalilun min al-akhireen. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that when it comes to the go-getters who really go and get things done, that's them, right? And that's, you get a, a bunch of them in the beginning. And the latecomers like me were a little bit, right? So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them and accept all their efforts. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. MashaAllah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward Mullah Abdullah Jabir. He was actually, uh, I just saw the clip on C-SPAN that he was the one who did the opening prayer and speech at the Democratic National Convention. MashaAllah, as he was the Imam in Atlanta. And very Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted him. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ar-Rahman, khalaqal insan, allamahu al-bayan. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught some human beings how to speak. Allah has gifted him with the art of speaking. May Allah ta'ala grant him further strength and utilize him for the khidmah of the deen inshallah now we have inshallah uh, some few minutes for a qu- question and answers so you can ask your questions inshallah to the respected panel we have Mawlana Abdullah Jabir and if Mufti Muhammad Ibn Adam Khosri is here he may join us inshallah and if not then inshallah he can answer the questions that you have pertaining to the topic Jazakallah khair Usually, uh, after I speak, the first question that's on everybody's mind is, what ethnicity is this guy? <laughs> that's usually what a lot of people wonder. What is he? So I'll leave, I'll leave you thinking about that. <laughs> Bismillah. Amen. Amen. So the brother is asking, what is the game plan? What is the game plan for us to engage in our society? Um, the game plan is pretty much us engaging in local uh, community. Um, so when it comes to, recently there was a, a session with MPAC and a few other uh, political groups, Muslim political groups in, in, in the United States that came around and we, we were sitting down and talking. Um, when it comes to engaging it has to, you have to be present right now the muslims are not even present at the table right so when decisions are being made you're not even considered so i give you an example wouldn't in, in chicago do you have eid off no okay in in california there was an effort so there are there are things like there are maqasid of deen you know maqasid of sharia are the ob- higher objectives of sharia the very first one, or amongst the five, one is hifz al-deen, one is protection of faith, one is protection of life, one is protection of intellect. When we talk about these things, uh, one would be to celebrate uh, our faith. And the way that we celebrate our faith is through Eid. Now, do you guys have an issue with children wanting to celebrate Halloween? Yes. 
Usually kids want to celebrate Halloween. Wallahi, I, I promise you, make Eid more fun than Halloween, your children will never want to celebrate Halloween. I'm telling you because I grew up like that. Okay? That's what it is. Make Eid more fun than fighting over moon sighting. Right? The whole entire world is fighting over moon sighting. And the kids, they are deprived of the happiness of, of Eid. Right? Like I'm talking about myself. Sometimes I do my laundry on Eid day. Okay, I'm like, man, I ate so much biryani and pakore, stuff al-Azim. I got to go relax. So what I mean by that is when we're talking about a game plan, you, you have to focus on how to revive the deen itself. How do you bring Islam onto the table? How do people even realize that there are Muslims? We got numbers. We got numbers. Because remember the Prophet ﷺ said that there will come a time where people will come around you and they will, they will, they will gather around you like hungry people around a, around a plate of food. And the Sahaba said, would it be because we were going to be little in number? He said, no, no, no. It's not because of little in number. Because you have let go of Allah and His Rasul. Right? So that's what we are. So my thing is we have to be present at the table. We have to be present. So we, there was this whole movement to, um, to talk to the superintendent of L.A. County to let them consider. And they had given us a number, like if you bring about 400 people. Now if you've been to L.A., L.A. got 400 Muslim brothers, okay? How many people showed up? Two. Two. Now what's, what's ridiculous for me is that we're worried about so many other things. But the fact that our children want to celebrate Christmas, our children want to celebrate uh, Easter, our children want to celebrate all these pagan uh, rituals, isn't that concerning? So a meeting like that where we can, where we can engage the, the, the school system and ask for them, because at the end of the day, they're, a, uh, they're, they're, they're public servants, they have to consider. If you show the numbers and demand, they will be uh, there, there to accommodate. But we're never at the conversation. So my thing right now, I believe, and I could be wrong at this, I believe we have to be present. And the way to be present is to be Muslims. Muslims. I was sharing with somebody when I was a, year, a few years back. I was in, in the, in, in, in the uh, we call it MARTA, or public transportation. I was in the, on the train, underground uh, metro. There was this brother. He was there, big brother, mashallah. He was listening to something, and he was trying to rap, and you know, like, he was trying to do something. I tried to listen. I was like, what is this guy doing? Then when I listened closely, what he was doing was reciting Surah Ikhlas. But he was trying to memorize it by rapping it. He was trying to put it into a rap. That's how he was trying to memorize it. I said, SubhanAllah. And he was just moving around, moving around. He didn't care what the world was doing. He was oblivious. That's what Muslims have to be. You got to be so Muslimified, you shouldn't even know that this should be your natural state. Because right now we're transformers. Okay? That's what we are. We're transformers. We transform, right? Optimus Prime. That's what we become. Sometimes Optimus Prime. And sometimes we transform. That's what we are. No, if you're young, you understand what I'm trying to say, right? The young generation, you have to represent. You have to be Muslims at all times. There is no uniform you put on the masjid and then it comes out when you go outside. That's transformers. We used to have transformers in the madrasa also. But I, I think we have to be present at the table. So whatever little we can do, we have to engage locally. We have to have to engage locally. Whatever is happening at the federal level, that's there. But remember, if you start ripple effect locally, it can have great effect, inshallah. Yes.
So everything has a scale. So our scale is we have to equate everything on Quran and Sunnah. That's our scale. Okay, so uh, when I lived in LA, I had to literally walk around with Sahih al-Bukhari and Quran with me all the time because you got so many groups in LA, it's ridiculous, right? So there's a lot of social work, uh, but I don't, for social work, remember, you don't have to be under an organization. To attend a town hall meeting, you don't have to be under an organization. To attend PTA meetings, how many, honest, how many fathers attend their children's PTA meetings? Okay, okay forget that. Children, how many of your parents attended your PTA meetings? No, seriously, I want to show something. Children, the millennials, you've been to school, how many of your parents ever attended PTA? Okay, if your parents did not attend PTA meetings, raise your hand. Be honest, please. No, no, just come on now. No, no, higher now. Remember, it's okay, let your father see, it's okay. Majority of our parents, so what I mean by social activism, being active on the, it's just the basic things, showing up to the PTA meeting. I know parents who are so active in their children's school life, they get Eid off, they get whatever they want, right? And the school calls them in to talk about Islam to other parents, so they do sensitivity trainings. So uh, to be involved in the community, we don't have to be under uh, an organization. Remember, the Prophet and the Sahaba, they were more active in Mecca in the sense they were more, they had more to sacrifice in Mecca. What's amazing about Mecca is there was no masjid. There was no organized movement. It was underground, but they sacrificed the most. So activism, just look for venues, what they're doing, right? The PTA meetings, I would say that's, that's norm to get involved in your child's life. What are they doing at school, right? How can you help the school? Are you volunteering for school events? So that's what I mean. We, we think about, we, when we think about good deeds as Muslims, we think about salah. When we think about bad deeds, we think about zina. But we don't think littering is also a sin. It is, littering outside is a sin. But we don't think about that, okay? Uh, purposely polluting the environment is a sin. You shouldn't be doing that because it, it, it's, it's a Muslim obligation to protect our environment. So what I'm saying is our mind has become in a way where we have the standard, the status quo of what we think is a good deed and what we think is a bad deed, right? So when we talk about involvement, I'm talking about very, very basic level in involvement. It doesn't require organizations. It doesn't require anything. It just requires for us to be at the table so that they can at least see they're Muslims. And then we can engage in the conversation. Jazakumullah khair. Can you share any positive experience you had with this? Um, so my personal thing is I deal with a lot of with, uh, local government officials. And um, they're, you know, when, when they're trying to pass bills or things like that, they'll ask for religious uh, uh, ad- advisory board to come in and talk about how it you know, benefits or it, it, it affects uh, your, your, your faith uh, congregation. And a lot of times you'd be surprised that a lot of our, uh, the legislative body within Chicago or other places, many of them that are rural where, you know, it's a majority, like 80% Caucasian community, 80, 90% Caucasian community, or 90% this community, really they have never interacted with a Muslim. They really haven't met a Muslim. Just you explaining to them, just talking to them, be like, hey, look, 
my name is Abdullah, and I'm here to hug you. You know, that changes the whole perspective. Like, you're gonna hug me? Oh, wow, you, you're a nice guy. So what I mean is, just basic involvement has changed, <coughs> made them reconsider bills that they were gonna pass. Recently, there was an uh, attempt to pass a bill that would uh, mandate uh, in, in a specific area uh, that women could not, or anybody, a person could not uh, cover their face in public area because of uh, identif identification purposes. And there was a sister who was at a school and her teacher actually bought it up in, in college. But then uh, CARE Georgia hit it up, we supported it by the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then they retracted it, you know? So this is what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes there are local bills that we're not aware of that are being passed in Glendale Heights, in Lombard, wherever your, you know, your district is. There are bills being passed, like for example in, in Atlanta, in our area, there was a bill that was going to be passed that all public, safe, all public uh, services, so we're talking about uh, uh, driver license, you're talking about voting, everything was going to be in English, no second language. That's discrimination. That's open discrimination. So next time you, your father or your auntie or somebody wants to go take uh, uh, a driver license test, there's no uh, second language. This affects the entire community. But we don't understand that that's, that's our obligation to, uh, to, to stand up. And I'll end off with this. Uh, Ibn Qayyim and ulama, they say that if you could summarize Islam into one word, it's al-adl, justice. When it comes to justice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, stand up for justice. Even if it's against yourself, stand up for justice. Even if it's against your family and kith and kin, stand up for justice. Right? What's amazing with that is, how did the conquest of Mecca take place? What's the greatest conquest in Islamic history? Conquest of Mecca, how did it take place? After the, the, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, you had tribes that were, it was free, any tribe could align with anybody, they could ally with anybody. The, 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 the Banu Bakr, I believe, the Banu Bakr allied with the Quraysh. Banu Bakr allied with the Quraysh. The Banu Khuza'a, they allied with the Muslims. Now the Banu Khuza'a, they weren't all Muslims. They were idolaters, right? They were idolaters. Yet, what happened? I'm talking about standing up for justice when we do this. The Prophet ﷺ, when, when the people of Banu Khuza'a, the allies of the Muslims, came, when the people came and said that Banu Bakr attacked us, the Prophet ﷺ mobilized the Muslim army, the entire Muslim army, to defend who? The lives of idolaters. This is called what? Standing up for human rights. Now if somebody comes and asks me who is the greatest human rights activist you know, it's my prophet. It's Muhammad, that's all I know, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He gave his life for this, right? His sahaba gave. He mobilized the entire Muslim army. It was in defense of the Banu Khuza'a who were idolaters that uh, conquest of Mecca took place. I mean, think about that, right? Jazakumullah khair. I think I've taken my time. Inshallah, alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khair once again, Sheikh for that beautiful opening for our uh, retreat.